Hello? Hi? Is this thing on? Oh, well, I I guess it still works. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, so uh, the Westmarch Workshop is coming back out of retirement, and boy, do I have a treat for all of you workshoppers there at home that might still be tuning in. Um, yeah, obviously, uh, to address the, uh, the, the elephant in the room, uh... Yeah, I, I know the the show has been uh, the show has been uh, on hiatus for quite some time since obviously the beginning of this year. Uh, but uh, hey, better late than never. I'm still around. Never intended to go this long without recording any episodes. Just you know, things things got um, you know jam packed in there throughout the uh, the course of the year. But should hopefully hopefully be back to going through doing some recording some uh big shout out to uh xanth and rush you know over at um you know purediablo.com that uh, having me over and you know be a uh, a guest on their podcast if you haven't been catching me um you can find me over there uh it makes a big difference not having to go through and edit your own shows when it's just like hey you want to record sure i could show up for an hour and talk and and then have zero responsibilities from there but uh yeah it uh it's it's time it's time show's coming back we're gonna start doing stuff obviously there's so much to talk about but uh for this particular episode uh, as you probably could already figure by like the social media or the YouTube title or however it is that you've come across this episode, uh, that uh, I was uh, given a chance to play an early version of Diablo uh, 4 thanks to to Blizzard for going through and you know giving me that opportunity in order to go and check out the game. Uh, and this is me sharing my thoughts and feelings on that kind of Diablo 4 early look. Um, so before we get into the thick and the thin of it, um, we are going to uh, set some set some uh, ground rules, set some expectations of what to expect here. Uh, first and foremost, uh, this was a, a snippet of the game, like the very first act. It was, it did have the the story. We were able to go through and play that. Uh, it did cap out at level twenty five and only features the uh, the first zone, the fractured peaks. So the uh, amount of play time was you know uh, somewhat limited uh, in that respect. So this this isn't like um, some previous uh, betas you know that of course you know have been you know talked about and stuff like that, like the in game beta or anything like that. That. This is this is going to be uh, my experiences within the small uh, snippet of the game, uh, and just you know what they had to go through and offer with that. Also, obviously, I'm a lore and story guy. The a lot of the people that tune into my show are also lore and story people, and as a respect for that, there will be no spoilers. Um, in this particular review. I mean, it also was a requirement from Blizzard to not talk about any spoilers, but uh, I probably am going to be a bit more conservative in how I discuss the story, just because I know a lot of those things are going to be important uh, for the listeners out there, that, hey, it's the first new Diablo story uh, that we've gotten, uh, you know, uh, since uh, Diablo Immortal, and the first, like, full... Uh, fleshed out game that we've gotten since Diablo 3 and Reaper of Souls. So this is this is this is it. This is the real deal. This is a continuation of the story and all that. Um, and so it's just going to be more my um, kind of like higher level thoughts and feelings um, on this uh, very um, early stages of the game, uh, as it were. Um, 
So, again, just so that we were setting expectations, this has nothing to do uh, with uh, high-end play. It's just uh, kind of like a, a almost like kind of like just getting getting your feet wet uh, with the, the the mechanics and such within the game, and also um, no story spoilers or anything along those lines. Uh, so, with that. Let's uh, let's go ahead and jump straight into it. Obviously, with the uh, as far as gameplay goes, it plays you know uh, phenomenally well. It's very crisp. The combat's fluid. Really enjoyed everything about it. You can definitely go through and tell as you're playing the game that it, it's pulling. Um, the the combat is definitely a lot closer to that in Diablo three than it is to say Diablo two, uh, and that everything is fluid. There's kind of like almost like a, a rhythm and a, a pace to the combat, at least in the, these early stages of the game where you're not going to have access to obscene attack speed and all these other like crazy modifiers and such. Um, only being able to get up to level twenty five. Um, wasn't able to unlock the uh, the the paragon boards, you know, um, in order to go through and mess around with that. Um, and you know, we weren't able to like uh, fully like max out an actual um, uh, build with our characters, uh, giving uh, because of the um, some of the other mechanics um, that exist within the game, you could get more than the twenty five skill points. Um, uh, but it was it's, it was a far cry from being able to to max out what you would have uh, as a skill build. Uh, that also we were limited in what we could get as far as like legendaries. Uh, I found um, like uh, I found one unique during all of my playthroughs. Um, uh, so you know there was there was uh, limited amounts of like legendaries and unique drops that we could have access to in order to go through and modify the builds. But beyond that, it it did felt uh, really good. The um, game itself also, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, was limited to just the druid. I'm sorry, uh, no druids and no necromancers. It was limited to so just the, the sorceress, the rogue, and the barbarian. Those are the only three classes that were playable. Um, I played through the whole story and messed around with uh, quite a bit with the sorceress. Uh, I also played through... Um, uh, uh, the entire story uh, and a little bit further than that with the rogue and uh, by the time that the uh, the you know the beta had ended I had only just started a barbarian and going through and playing with uh, playing with him so I didn't have much of a chance uh, to actually get any experience in with the barbarian but between the uh, the, the rogue and the sorcerer it uh, it really uh, it really felt like the the difference in pace of the combat with like the different energy systems and such, um, as well as just uh, just being able to see a little bit of the class mechanics because you were given access to having some early class quests that unlock certain features. One of those things being you know like with the the rogue having uh, combo points as a uh, class mechanic. You do not start with that. That didn't even unlock until you were playing through the uh, the, the campaign, and then giving a quest to then go out and further, um, you know, uh, you know, to further unlock uh, abilities. So you're still going through and you're putting in your your skill points as you're uh, messing around with the tree. Um, and then you're also, as you progress through the campaign, you know, getting getting more abilities uh, throughout that. Uh, we had also seen this, even though we didn't get to play the Necromancer in the Necromancer um, kind of like showcase preview. We had seen the, like the Book of the Dead, where you get to customize your skeletons, golems, and stuff like that. It's it's similar to that type of mechanic. 
um, the you know the, the sorceress I believe we had seen in a previous developer uh, developer talk that there was like the the uh, enchanting system in the uh, I had not gotten to a point with the the sorceress uh, I only had access to like one class quest and it didn't open up enchanting. Uh, for me, as uh, the sorceress, I don't know if I had to like get up to level twenty-five or somewhere along those uh, somewhere along those lines in order to actually um, unlock that class quest to get that going. Whereas with the rogue, I had got the combo points. With the sorceress, the class quest just kind of gave me um, uh, some class-specific items, um, but I didn't get uh, I didn't get to unlock that enchanting system, so I wasn't really able to to mess around with uh, that mechanic. And obviously, I didn't play the barbarian long enough. Um, in order to like really get a feel for the the arsenal system and such, but with the sorceress, you could see it as you were going and picking the skills that it would say that this is you know this is the skill effect, and then here is like the enchantment effect. Uh, one of the ones that uh, was interesting to me was like the the blizzard, uh, which if you enchanted the skill, made it so that way every fifteen seconds you get a blizzard that forms around you for four seconds. So it's just, it's like, it's going to increase the uptime on your blizzard, you know, uh, by just that little bit, by having it go through and spawn for you periodically. If you're like really kind of like pursuing like, you know, some sort of uh, frost or, you know, blizzard or ice build. Um, so you have a little bit of um, little bit of uh, depth there well, as the, the, the rogue, you know, you unlock combo points. And so your basic skills, which is um, all the skills have tags, modifiers. Um, and so you can actually go through and you look at when you're going through at the... It is broken up in the um, skill tree itself, but they all have... Um, tags on them so you can go through and you can look and you can actually filter there's um uh, mechanics in the skill tree itself that allow you to filter so you can filter by basic and see what all of your basic skills are and those all generate combo points uh whenever you use them and it's not like uh, world of warcraft or something where you're building combo points on one particular enemy you're just building them for yourself so after you use three basic um skills you have three combo points and that makes it so that way then your core skills uh, will scale uh, their damage or abilities. Uh, which again, uh, the, the core abilities is just a, a tag uh, that exists um, you know, within the tree itself that you can look at. You know, obviously there's other things like um, you know, frost and fire, certain damage types like poison or shadow, uh, which will be, uh, which will be um, uh, tagged throughout all the skills. But there's um, a whole multitude of things uh, like subcategories uh, such as like the the sorceress also had conjuration um, as a uh, conjuration as one of the tags or defensive uh, as one of the tags. The barbarian from little I saw there was like berserking uh, was a, a tag in there. So there's a whole bunch of different little tweaks uh, and knobs you know that exist in the game that could potentially be uh, balance points or things that further legendaries or maybe paragon boards or uniques and such could then uh, take advantage of um, with modifying in, in some way, shape, or form. Um, you know, one of the one of the legendaries that I had found was uh, just basically, it was just like you had a, a bonus to your, um, you had a bonus to, I believe it was like the, the, the core skill damage against frozen enemies, which, you know, it, you know, just kind of like shows you that oh, it's something that's going to push you know something like frozen orb while also at the same time not 
uh, buffing like the damage of Blizzard. So it's things that you can kind of like uh, target in on or home uh, when you're kind of like figuring out how you want to min-max your build. Or, um, you know, on the developer side, it's just, it's additional, uh, you know, it's additional system of um, kind of like differentiators that you can use when you're going through and you're buffing um, certain skills or certain talents while still making it very easy to players in order to see it because it's not just the the talent tree that's sitting there and you have to hover over everything there's a little drop down box so you can go through and click well I want to build core frost skills on my sorceress and you can just highlight those and it will show you everything on the talent tree you can just you can scroll back look at the talent tree and it shows you everything that's tagged for that and so it gives you not just you know uh, things such as Frozen Orb, which is a core frost skill, but things that might also uh, buff core or frost skills further down the tree. There might be interactions that makes it so that way, you know, only core skills will have this effect, or maybe it will have something along the lines that things that proc off of just, you know, frost damage. Uh, so uh, I did like the, the base that they're going through and starting off with there, even that early in the game that you can kind of see the the different levels or the different layers that they've gone through with the, the skill design in order to try and, um, you know, just have those levels of differentiation that allow you to really, like, really customize your build. You're not just going to be going through... Obviously, I'm sure that there'll be things that are out there that's just like, oh, yeah, you know, give me more frost damage, you know, but there there might be things that you could really go through and be pushing something like a conjuration frost build with you know your ice blades and things along those lines versus a, a core frost build with frozen nova or maybe even something that works particularly off of like your chill effects um that in order to go and have a higher chance at like freezing uh monsters it, so it seems that there's at least a lot of uh potential for play there when you're going through and you're looking to like you know, create some sort of a uh, badass build. There's a lot of things that you can look and tweak and, uh, um, you know, uh, just have uh, the ability to customize. You know, there, there's just, it's not just, oh, you know, frostbolt, frost damage, you know, type thing. It is, you know, it's so it's a, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more in depth than, say, Diablo 2, where you just have, like, you know, frost tree, and then you know, here you have like plus three to like sorcerer skill, plus three to frost skills, and then like plus three to frozen orb. You could have things that are buffing your frost damage, or your core damage, or your frost, or give you bonus ranks to frost orb to increase its damage. You know through that uh, that route, or even things that just increase damage for mana spenders and such. There's oh so so many different you know levels that it can be tweaked. Um, you know. And, you know, who knows where it might go from there because those tags are potentially mutable. Uh, you might even have the potential potentiality for changing, you know, those tags out or around with legendaries and such. It just it's a it's a really cool system. And I like the how much information that it communicates, uh, you know, over to the player and just allows me to just sit there and speculate and theory craft about, oh, what might they do with this? What, what might uh, come from uh, next? Um uh, you know, but going beyond just like the, the the class mechanics and such, we we got to experience like a, a little bit, um, you know, of what might be, uh, um, you know, in the game itself. Um, one of the the big ones, of course, was we had access to a bunch of dungeons because almost all of the fractured peaks was was open to us. 
Um, but there are some things such as, you know, uh, strongholds that they've talked about a lot through uh, various interviews um, and the, the development blogs and such. Um, uh, I could only find, um, you know, I didn't explore uh, every single nook and cranny of the zone, but I could only find uh, one, even though the map said that there was three available. I don't know if that was just, you know, for this testing purpose and there's other ones that unlock later um, or what have you. But, you know, we, we did have uh, we did have a stronghold that we could go through um, and experience. And that's cool because it like opens up, you know, it opens up a little bit more of the, the, the world. Um, there's... Um, you know, some story and lore that's uh, associated with the, you know, the particular area, and uh, you know, it's just something that you know, uh, it, it's like, uh, I guess I should I should start back a little bit higher level because there's an overarching system within the zone itself with the system called Renown, and one of the things that the Renown does is that as you complete um, anything, uh, exploring the map doing side quests, um, doing strongholds. Strongholds are one of the big ones. Uh, completing dungeons for the first time, um, uh, as well as finding like little hidden um, altars to Lilith um, all throughout the zone uh, help build your renown. And when you hit specific points, um, it will unlock bonuses. Um, like the very first one is, you know, it's gold experience in, um, a, but what really matters is of course a skill point. Um, the second one is a potion charge, and then another skill point, and then finally uh, paragon points uh, for, you know, the paragon boards that would, I imagine would come later in the game. And those are actually account-wide unlocks. And so after I had played through the Rogue first, messing around with it for a little bit, when I went back and I restarted the game with my sorceress, I, I had a free um, skill point to just start the game with, as well as an additional potion charge, because I unlocked the, the second level of Renown just playing through the story on the rogue. Uh, and so the other characters I started, you know, had these bonuses. And I'm sure that's something that will then exist because that was, like, unique to the Fractured Peaks. It's going to be in every single zone that exists throughout the game, so that way every time that you create a new character, you're actually a little bit further ahead. Now, it's not quite the same, like, power level as it would be with, you know, Diablo 3 and the infinite Paragon points where you can just go through and start off as a god. You know, you're just starting off with a, a couple extra skill points and some extra um, potion charges. Uh, I don't know how the Paragon, you know, board unlocks would work. Like, you know, does it give you Paragon points before you even have the Paragon board? Because, like, it wasn't even in, you know, like, the, the UI to go through and mess around with. Um, so... I'm not sure how that functionality is going to end up working, but it, it is really cool because it, it rewards you for going through exploring, uh, for messing around with the zone. Those altars of Lilith that I mentioned earlier are also something similar that every one that you find gives you a small stat buff uh, for all the characters on the realm. Um, so when you go through and you find them, uh, in addition to giving you a little bit of experience and a little bit of renown, it's like you go through and you find it, and it's like, hey, all of your characters now have eight additional hit points, or hey, all of your characters now have two additional dexterity. And so you go through and find these, and then I think that there was like close to 30, it was like 28, 29 um, you know, altars of Lilith that were hidden throughout just the Fractured Peaks. So that's actually, you know, once you go through and you find those, that's a quite a substantial amount of stats, excuse me, um, that you could potentially unlock when you then go through and you multiply that throughout all the other zones that exist um, in the game that... If you manage to go through, you unlock all of the renowned system, you find all of the altars of Lilith, um, 
you can start characters with, you know, a pretty decent power boost. You still are going to need, you know, gear and such, but that, that could, you know, give you that little bit of a leg up. Because we all know, um, you know, from going through leveling alts, from, I guess, this is more for, like, a, a Diablo 2 perspective, that you can, you can equip them out with a, a whole load of, like, really, like, just decked out min-max gear and such, but still things start off... Um, a bit on the slower side, unless you're getting power level. But with this one, you know, you could potentially start off with what, you know, like 10 skill points, which is going to unlock your core skills. Um, it's going to unlock, uh, I think 10 is enough to also unlock like your defensive skills as well. So you're going to unlock a couple of tiers within the, um, the skill tree. And then you're just going to have a, a whole bunch of, you know, uh, bonus uh, HP um, you know, in base stats as well. Uh, I could also see that being pretty useful, you know, for a hardcore character, so that way maybe the sting is a little bit less, that, you know, when you go through to create a new character, you got a little bit of a power boost um, there, so you can be maybe a little bit more reckless with your leveling. Um, but uh, it's also, you know, to, to not quite be entirely like the Paragon system like Diablo 3, it's finite. There's there's only so many shrines that exist out there. There's only so many renown unlocks that you can uh, get from across all of the zones. That even though it might be like a really big power boost at level one, probably isn't going to be you know as you know game altering in say you know at level fifty or seventy or something along those lines. So, but still, hey, stat boosts are stat boosts, right? Every little bit, um, every little bit helps. Um, and so, you know, wanting to go through and complete those renowns gives you a reason to go and, you know, complete uh, every single dungeon. Uh, I will again say, remember, this isn't, uh, we weren't testing um, any type of in-game systems or anything like that. So the nightmare dungeons that had been previewed before we had no access to, it was just running the regular dungeons. But there is, of course... Um, a reason to want to go and play in those dungeons, and that ties into uh, the Occultist, which is kind of like the Enchantress from Diablo 3 that will allow you to uh, re-roll stats, um, you know, on, uh, on re-roll stats on your gear, things along those lines. The big thing that the Occultist did um, in the game uh, was allow you to um, either extract or imbue legendary aspects, uh, which would allow you to transfer legendary powers from one piece of gear to another. Now you could take a you know uh, like a lower level legendary. Maybe you got lucky and you got like a legendary around like level ten or level fifteen, and then you got into your twenties and you found something that hey, you know I I love using this weapon because it's got this like really powerful effect that's you know buffing like frozen orb, uh, but. Uh, the, the weapon is just like too low level for me to continue using. You can actually pull that power out and then put it into uh, a higher level rare. It doesn't have to be legendary. Um, so that way you can you can then take the, that rare with exactly the same stats as it has and it just now gains that legendary property to it. Um, uh, but it also gives you the ability that as you, uh, as you complete these dungeons, you have what's referred to as a codex of power. And in that codex is uh, baseline abilities of a whole bunch of items. I don't think that it was every single item in the game. Like, there were a lot, but there weren't, like, hundreds or anything along those lines. Because you got to see, you know, you got to see them for all classes, not just the ones that you were playing. Uh, and you could go into a dungeon and it's like, oh, this on if you complete this dungeon, it unlocks a new codex of power page. 
for a barbarian. Like, what does that mean to me, you know, playing uh, a rogue or a sorceress? Doesn't mean it doesn't really matter a lot, but hey, maybe I will play a barbarian one day. Uh, and so some of, like, the abilities would just be, like, um, I think one of the ones I unlocked for the sorceress was, like, increases incinerate damage. Um, and there, there's no... Uh, stat value to it. It seemed as if it was always rolling at the minimum value that it could uh, that it could potentially do. They're all very low. Because normally, when you have like the the legendaries, you can see that there was like a stat range on it or something. But on those aspects in the Codex of Power, um, they were limited. So you didn't you didn't really have access. You know, they were just basically. It's like, hey, here's something. Uh, that you can use to unlock. You do all the dungeons in the game, you unlock the, the 100% on your Codex of Power, and so that way now if you're playing a whole new class you've never played before, you at least have aspects that you can go through and pull these powers and start upgrading some of your rare gear um, with these uh, uh, abilities to give you a little bit of a step up, a little bit of a power boost. Or maybe it's just something... Uh, that might be like a, a baseline component, you know, like I want to use incinerate. And so my my build really needs like this incinerate uh, power. And so I'm using, I'm always just going to go back to the Codex of Power and take that until I find the actual, you know, legendary item itself uh, that exists out in the world. But it's just, it, it's nice that it gives you an opportunity that um, you can, um, you know, have these uh, legendary um, affixes that you can at least use in some shape. Uh, I, I I think it, it's cool because obviously, you know, there is the negative connotation that maybe that detracts from the item hunt a little bit uh, in that you you can just always have access to like, uh, you know, this power. Like, again, I'm, I'm not sure if it's all of them uh, that exist within the game because um, it, it looked as if it was far more limited and like it wasn't everything. Uh, but it, you know, uh, maybe if there, I could see this as a, a system that maybe there's like some sort of particular legendary combination that comes out later on. Uh, and it's like integral in order to play that particular spec or something like that. Wouldn't it be, uh, better that even if they were like just the minimum roles of being able to have those available every time that you, um, rolled that class, uh, to unlock that particular type of build, uh, and you still, because you still have incentive to go out and find the item for, you know, the, the better, um, you know, the, the better uh, ability ranges and such. Uh, but maybe, you know, just having access to it, uh, you know, just kind of like, um, you know, it's something that doesn't really exist in Diablo 2 because, you know, everything in the itemization system in Diablo 2 just modifies the skills that you already had, except for, obviously, like Enigma and such, they give you cross-class skills, but you can even find, like, Staff's Teleportation or to fill in from there. Uh, but in, in Diablo 3, I mean, that's, like, a really big thing where you can't play specs if you don't have the set. And so this one at least gives you uh, some of those uh, abilities to unlock it, because unlike Diablo 3, where it's just, you know, Impale does 100,000 times more damage... Uh, they're, you know, they're supposed to be modifiers. So you're supposed to kind of, like, pick your legendaries uh, based on how they go through and they modify your skills, with, you know, to give you whatever intended play style um, it is that you that you want. Um, and I guess uh, kind of like uh, how Diablo Immortals' system is, is that instead of having the, the runes, 
affect how your skill does. You equip different items, uh, different legendaries in Diablo Immortal to affect uh, or change the functionality of your skills in order to unlock uh, new play styles, new abilities. And so having part of that, you know, kind of like built into the system in Diablo 4, where even if not everything is um, available at the beginning, say if there's just like some really popular builds or something that but they require a couple of like esoteric items that are out there that you can at least go and pull those uh powers from uh in order to at least get the build started you know um and that's something that if if um you know everything is available in that codex of power um then great and if not then maybe things can be added on if it's if there's enough community um feedback on it because we also did get a chance to sit down and talk with the developers, uh, and you know they were they were very um, focused on uh, class balance. One of their like kind of like one of their internal uh, mottos was uh, "Play your way," um, and that's uh, one of the goals for the development team that they want to have um, a, a vast multitude of different play styles uh, available to everybody, and that. You shouldn't feel uh, penalized for wanting to play, you know, say, uh, uh, you know, a fireball sorceress as opposed to like a meteor sorceress or something. There should be enough in there that could, you know, make it so that way you don't have to take like these super specific skill sets that exist like in Diablo 3. And that's going to be closer in, in respect to like the um, build system of Diablo 2, where you kind of can just make. Um, you may, it's not that you can make anything work, like, you still actually have to have, like, a cohesive build, but it's like, if you're going to go through and you're going to, you know, equip a couple of legendaries to really focus in on, you know, a couple of specific skills, that that should work. That should be viable, and that should allow you to play at the, the highest levels in the game. Might not be as efficient as, you know, uh, finely crafted, uh, and finely honed, um, you know, uh, in-game uh, builds and such, but they, they did want to um, make it so that way you you f you could feel that the the you could kind of like feel joy in going through and creating your own build and still being able to complete the same challenges as other people. You know, and maybe not as fast as some other people, but you can still at least go through and take out the content. Um, that a lot of their focus is going to be on internal uh, class balance and uh, specifically so that way uh it's not so much that they they want uh you know crusader the you know the crusader necromancer witch doctor you know um in diablo 3 are all capable of soloing a greater rift 150 and the other classes can't and so we've got to buff those other classes so that way they can all get up to 150 it, it's more so that hey you know, this is uh, this is a really cool you know combination of skills for like a, a lightning sorceress in Diablo 4 should be capable of completing you know the the in-game content activities uh, that are going to exist in Diablo 4, and that you should feel you know that the the build is rewarded and that you're able to clear your dungeons and things like that you know w without issue, uh, unless of course you're going through and you know you're 
engaging at a level of content where it should be difficult um you know type thing and so they want to make sure that you know lightning sorceress plays as well as a frost sorceress as well as a you know a fire sorceress and then a fireball sorceress will play as good as a meteor sorceress and so on and so forth so that way the the internal balance within the classes is going to be um uh, a more important aspect of going through and focusing that balance as opposed to making sure that all of the classes you know, are all, you know, synergistic in terms of like the, the, the levels that they can compete at. So it's kind of like, well, well, we'll get all the classes there. That, that, that's, that's a given. We want to make sure that all of the builds within the classes um, are going to be viable. Um, so, you know, that, that was, that was definitely, um, uh, you know, it was definitely, uh, it was a good thing to hear from the development team. That is, of course, a very tall order. Every they're the right things to say. They're the the things that we want to hear. It, of course, is going to come down to uh, their ability to do so uh, once once we actually have the full game in our hands and we go and we break everything because that's what players do, right? We we get in there, we think of stuff that they never had dreamed of being possible and just completely break the game and mechanics and such. Um, but some of the some of the other things that, uh, like a question that I had asked, since there's this really big push for uh, internal balance and playing your way, um, are, you know, would the player base be locked behind the seasonal balance changes and they said no they are fine with doing a faster cadence than uh seasons if there's if there's a if there's a, a build you know that is just not working out obviously not just a i'm gonna randomly you know assign skill points and randomly assign a paragon tree or something like that but if there's if there's something that just is broken whether it be because of a seasonal bonus um you know or uh an item that dropped off the face of the earth or something that if if they're like you know i really want to play uh i would really want to play like hydra or something like that and it's just not working they 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 will intervene in the middle of a season in order to like uh buff particular specs or maybe rein back uh particular specs uh that might be problematic and such just uh, so that way, you know, you don't feel like I only want to play a Frozen Orb build and Frozen Orb sucks this season, so I'll see you in three months, you know, type thing, which I probably should have opened with. Uh, they did confirm in the interview uh, that Diablo 4 seasons are going to be three months long. So we're going to have three month seasons in Diablo 4, uh, though they did not say when they would start. So we don't know how long after launch uh, we are uh, going to actually get the seasons, but, you know, I'm sure it's probably going to be something along the lines of, you know, Diablo 2 Resurrected when the servers are capable of handling it, you know, type uh, type deal, uh, when they're when they're ready to go through and uh, pull the trigger on that one. Um, but, you know, kind of like going back to the overall uh, game systems and such, uh, some of the other things that were that stood out to me is that um, the monster families were um, intriguing, and it actually changed the uh, the game. Uh, and as you're just going through and playing, when the families themselves, you started seeing multiple ones 
um, appear at the same time. Because, uh, like, say, like the, the the vampire family, the the lower level monsters, ghouls, is just they they flood you with like twenty really weak. Like these things are weaker than fallen. They they, you know, they they flood you like twenty at a time, but they're fast. They will close the entire distance of the screen like in the blink of an eye. So they're gonna go through and they're gonna mob you, which makes um, that even though their damage, um, you know, even from twenty of them isn't all that much. It's it kind of like you know surrounds you blocks you in you know doesn't uh blocks off avenues of escaping and such and then the the bigger ones such as like the vampire that we all know um from old school diablo players like the spellcaster um which are called i think they were like blood lords um will sit there and start peppering you with spells which are now harder to dodge because you're surrounded and being move blocked and then the kind of like the elite melee ones the revenants are absolutely nasty because they have a stun where they actually will stun you for a couple seconds and start draining your blood and uh healing themselves the same way and now all of a sudden you like kind of like combine these things together your movement's being blocked so they hit you with the stun they're draining your blood and then now all of that tiny little chip damage is actually starting to get a little bit scary but you then go through and you uh, say like combine that with something like the skeletons where the skeletons generally are a little bit uh, tankier uh, you have a lot of them that are ca uh, carrying shields and so they start off with an actual shielded effect uh, where you can't damage their life bar until you like kind of like uh, break through their bubble um, but they're they're slow they hit a little bit harder but they're easy to avoid but they usually tend to have a lot more range whether it's you know the uh, skeleton archers with the crossbows where they actually have those giant um, ballistas that can fire like from two screens away in order to hit you um, but, you know, because they're slow and there's not a lot of them, you can just kind of, like, dodge around, dodge their attacks and such like that. Uh, but then it, when you get attacked by both the vampires and the skeletons at the same time, that's when it begins to get a little bit more interesting uh, because now the ghouls are surrounding you or the revenants are stunning you. And so now you're locked in place or it's more difficult for you to get away or to move around to dodge those crossbow shots, to dodge those really damaging ballista shots. And so it kind of changes the way that you um, approach the, the combat when those families uh, start appearing together. Obviously, it's very early in the game. We don't have access to like fully complete builds and a full legendary loadout and such where this com completely changed once you're at the level where you can just kind of like speed through the content and such but just at least it, it felt good at the the lower level um and then also the um types of enemies themselves uh evolved uh you know where say diablo 2 you'd have like the undead you know you'd have just like skeletons and then you'd have the undying skeletons and then you'd have like the burning dead um it's kind of like a, a high level skeleton uh it actually matters it's not just a name anymore um because there's a part where you fight um burning skeletons uh and there's these kind of like um uh they're they're kind of like the elite melee skeletons the ones that they're they're um i think they were like what was it like corpse what was it corpse axes or corpse grinders but they're dragging this gigantic axe behind them and it has a big wind-up time but it does a bunch of damage and it knocks you back um if you get hit by it but when they become the burning dead it doesn't just go through and slam for a bunch of damage they start using the attack at range because what it does is it actually shoots out um, a cone of fire from where they go through and they strike the ground 
And so it was interesting seeing that change where it's not just like the burning dead is a higher level form of skeleton. It actually changes like their attack profiles and such. Like those things actually became a little bit scarier because now I before I could just run away from them and they would never actually hit me. But now that they're like attacking me from like on the other side of the doorway where I'm not even paying attention to them yet, and they're hitting me from half a screen away with this flame attack, and it's like, oh, I have to change how I how I play. Or even like the the fallen where you go through and you fight like kind of like the um kind of like a, you're up you know the fallen that you fight in like a dungeon or your typical fallen with throwing you fireballs resurrecting things. Um but then the ones out in the 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 ice fields and the fractured peaks instead of throwing fireballs they're throwing um they you know they're throwing ice bolts. And so they they actually freeze you. Because uh, in this game, the way that chill works is that once you hit reach 100% chill, you're frozen. And so all uh, kind of like frost attacks have like a chill percentage. And, you know, theirs was like relatively high. It only takes a couple of those frost bolts. And now all of a sudden you're moving at a snail's pace or you're completely frozen for a couple seconds at the mercy of everything going through and um, swarming you. Uh, the Fallen were actually also a bit scarier than they have been in other uh, renditions. Um, uh, because when they go through, because everything, obviously, it's lower level of the game, uh, but they, they weren't, like, the horde, uh, demon that they had been in previous ones. Like, even, like, just, like, a couple of the little guys, they're fast and they hurt. They're, like, they're stronger than the ghouls and such. Um, and then you've got, like, the, the, the brutes and the champions that will also go through, run into the mix, and can do some pretty decent damage as well. Um, the, the shamans... Uh, from just like uh, uh, the game development um, point of view was really interesting because there was also an audio cue there they don't just you know they don't just kind of like wave their hands and then some guy gets up there's like a spell component to it you hear them rattling their cane and so you can hear it from off screen that there's a summoner nearby and they're resurrecting the the dead fallen um, but you can see the corpse getting picked up so if you're fast enough or have the capability to to either like stagger them or stun them some sort of crowd control you can actually stop the spell and stop them from resurrecting them which is important because they do seem to prioritize the bigger ones first and so if you're if you go through and you've killed the brutes you're trying to get to the shaman they're going to be resurrecting those brutes as you see the brutes corpse go through and start being picked up by the spell and so you feel rewarded in that aspect of it's like oh i stopped them from doing it it's not just that I killed you in between casts. I see you actually casting the spell, and I can do something about it. It's it's like that little the information that is giving the player that it's like, oh, I've got to kill them in the next two seconds, otherwise they're going to pick somebody up. It's that I can see them picking them up, and I I know I've stopped it uh, from happening by you know crowd controlling you or killing the shaman before it happens. It's just little tiny things like that um, that make make you feel as if you're like okay i'm making good decisions i'm making great you know gameplay decisions i'm learning how the game functions how everything works and so just little, little tiny things like that are like the little levels of detail um that i can at the, just even at this level i can see in the game and i can't wait to experience uh what might go through and come uh come later it is um 
it, it was really cool seeing like the diversification of how like the the different tree the different uh, families react, how they they act, and then how they can coordinate together when they're going through and attacking you. But one of the one of my most uh, hated mob types uh, in the game were the ghosts, um, because fittingly, as ghosts, uh, they just appear. You'll be going through and you'll see ghosts, like, as you're going through a dungeon, you'll open a door and you'll see ghosts on the other side of the room. As soon as you attack them, the rest of the room will spawn, generally right on top of you. And so it's like, there's really no, you, they're not, like, just there and hidden and you can cast a spell uh, in order to kill them before they quote unquote spawn they don't uh, they don't even physically like warp in until you've attacked them uh, and so it's like there's no there's no getting around them they're always going to be there they're always going to attack you they're always going to get a hit in and that of course you know is going to be, I'm sure, 100% frustrating as you get higher into the game, where it's just like, I'm always going to get hit, you know, at least once. So if you have something that, you know, makes it so that way, you know, you take extra damage, you know, uh, from some ability. Like, say, like, if there's any type of, like, Squirt's Necklace or something like that, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess with those particular uh, types of, uh, types of um, you know, builds that might exist. And so you actually have to, like, plan things out and be, like, really quick on your defenses. You know, you have to tag something and then roll back or evade, or, you know, just to just to make sure that you keep whatever buffs up. So there, there's a lot of, I can see the, the level of engagement and, like, the, the player response where it's not just an enemy with a different name, you know, where a lot of that exists um, within all of the Diablo games where it's just, it really doesn't matter. You know, but, you know, maybe, like, sure, you know, you have, um, you know, Gloams, you know, and Diablo 2 with their lightning bolts, or, um, you might have, um, you know, the, uh, the Goatmen in Diablo 3, where they're throwing doors at you with the, the size of the hitboxes of their spears and such, um, that, you know, become, you know, really annoying or problematic, you know, it's, and then everything, nothing else, like, matters, you know, these ones, like, everything has, like, uh, kind of, like, mechanic to them, there's, uh, uh, there's, like, a reason for them existing, and there's different ways that you know that you'll have to approach them, um, as you go and you play through the game, um, it kind of like is a lot of like the the higher level stuff as far as like game systems go. Um, I, I will I want to go back and touch on a little bit from like the some of a little bit the Q and A that I had that I got to experience. Um, you know, going back to like the the seasons and such, and uh, that they they acknowledge um, four seasons uh, that not just like say in Diablo three, but a lot of other, uh, ARPGs where you'll play for a bit and then you'll go, um, elsewhere until the next season. Uh, and they, they're, they're okay with that. You know, they're, they're fine with that. That's just, you know, the nature of, uh, games as a service that you play through the new content, the new updates, and then you might find something else, but they, they want to give people a reason to continue playing throughout the entire season. Uh, they didn't quite say, you know, what specifics were behind that. I imagine some of that will come to um, battle, pa battle pass completion um, and things along those uh, lines. But they, um, they, they, they want, um, they also, you know, kind of like want to give uh, um, some depth to the, the item finding system. So the, like all legendaries have like a, a flat 
drop rate. So if you are a barbarian looking for a specific type of uh, affix on legendary boots, it has the same percentage chance to drop as any other legendary affix on boots. You know, so you're not like locked out of it. There's no death's web that you have to go and hunt down or anything along those lines. Uh, that you should have a relatively easy chance of going through, or not easy, but you know, you have you know that you'll encounter it at some point. You know, it's not like super rare or anything like that. Uh, and that you'll, you know, the worst case scenario, you can go through and start extracting as you find them as you're leveling. You can go through and extract those aspects to then put on uh, um, other things. And so there's enough. Um, play within the affixes and such, which, you know, it's only level 25, you know, there, we didn't really get to see uh, a lot of it, but there's a bunch of stuff from, you know, chance to execute uh, monsters on attack. Uh, there's a, like, plus a bonuses to core damage, bonuses to basic skill damage, you know, um, skill bonuses, you know, like plus one to teleport or plus one to um, poison trap, uh, things along those lines. Uh, but there's also, uh, you know, uh, there were like barrier potencies, resists. Uh, you obviously you have your like you know strength uh, decks, uh, which all have like various little um, uh, mechanics. You know, based they all have like the same thing. Like strength always increases your armor, uh, willpower always increases your overpower damage. Um, but then depending upon what class that you play, strength increases a barbarian's damage, whereas intelligence increases like a sorceress's damage, so on and so forth. Um, but there, there was a lot of different um, affixes and tweaks that existed there. So there, there at least is going to be like a lot of uh, breadth and variety of the items that you can find, and probably what you know specific set of affixes that you want um, uh, on your gear. So they they said that there there will be a certain um, uh, kind of like depth to the item hunt, and that you'll want to go through, and where you might find the legendary that completes your build, you know, relatively early. Then going through and getting the right slate of affixes on the item to then put the affix into um, will give you a little bit of time. Uh, but they did also say that at the highest uh, difficulty levels in the game that there are certain uniques that will unlock that are their kind of like their chase items which uh uniques like legendaries you can extract powers from but uniques you cannot so uniques are unique you you know that that's the item you know you can't just pull that power and throw it on another one if you want another um unique helm you have to find that unique helm that was the only way that you're going to get that particular like power combo or a fix or anything like that it only exists on that item in order to get it better you have to find that item again um and that there will be certain higher level uh uniques that are rarer drops and that those are going to be kind of like chase uh, items. I imagine since they, they have like this three month season um, in mind that it's not going to be uh, a, a, you know, like a, a death's web uh, in terms of uh, your chase uh, that you should at least have a chance at finding it within that three month period but maybe not something that you're going to go through and run into in your first couple of weeks of gameplay and that, that's fine. That's a great you know mechanic with which to do uh, which you know just uh, works really well for Diablo 2 because, you know, those are things that people will go through and it's like, I'm trying to find, you know, that, you know, that full-socketed monarch, uh, you know, or I'm trying to find, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking for burrs, 
you know, I'm looking for burrs and stuff like that, where you've got those those chase items that you're you're trying to hunt down to complete your build. That gives you a little bit of um, you know, it increases your seasonal play time a little bit more. Um, that they they just couldn't do in Diablo three because the only way to play was to have those items. If you didn't have that item, then you couldn't play the build. Period. Um, and so. Uh, I will be interested in seeing what those particular items look like, you know, what they could do. Is there, like, one for every class? Is one for every spec? Or are they things that are a bit more, you know, generic or universal? I don't know. I have no idea. But I'll be looking forward to going through and um, uh, seeing them. Uh, and then also, uh, uh, I don't know how, how the campaign play will work in Seasons. Um, but once you beat the campaign once, it unlocks, like, the adventure mode. It allows you to just go through and explore, uh, explore the world and play your characters however you, uh, however you want. Whether you want to play through the story again, or just go straight into the adventure mode and start leveling that way. Um, uh, I do also want to go through and point out the artwork. Um, the overall art, uh, themes and such within the game were absolutely amazing. Um, you know, the scenes were beautiful, um, dark and dreary, where, um, you know, I was of the camp that I did enjoy, you know, the, the painterly look of Diablo 3. I think that it looked really well, and I enjoyed that art style. Um, the Just the vividness and the, the crispness of Diablo 4, it, it, it's beautiful. It really is. Especially the way that they go and they play through things. That you're you're walking up to this fortress in the mountains, and as you're going and crossing, um, uh, you know, you're you're crossing the um, the, you know, the the bridge over into this fortress. Uh, the camera begins to pull back, so you can actually see like the full scope of like the 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 um, you know the battlements, the walls, and such. And then as you you go through the portcullis, it begins to like go through and you know come back in, um, you know as you cross the uh, the drawbridge. And so it's just like it's, there's a lot of like attention to detail that really allows you to just sit there and experience the awe and the wonder of it. Um, you know. The obviously it's like every everyone is beaten and downtrodden and you have people just like shuffling through the towns, you know, dressed in rags. Uh, you know, uh, you, you've got people that are like, you know, like little tiny like cook fires and stuff like that. As you're going through like the snow and the tundra, you'll kick up like a, um, a skeleton um, or some armor that was just like left buried in the snow just as you're walking around like little little tiny things like that obviously it wouldn't be a diablo game without you know blood sacrifices demoning summoning circles and things along those lines there's there's a lot of really cool uh visuals that existed within the game uh and then the music the music definitely is taking uh, uh is taking some cues from diablo 2 it's really trying to emulate a lot of that style um, from the earlier Diablo games, um, whereas you know, like I, I think it's it's n it's not quite there because in the in in Diablo one, Diablo two, the music was part of the identity of the zones that you would play through. Uh, you know, where you, where you, whether you were entering into a cave or a desert or something like that. Now, obviously, it was only just like this one um, area of the game that we we're able to go through and explore. Um, but the the music 
uh, did have you go through you walk out into like the you know the the wilderness for the first time and you really get a feeling that yeah this is this is kind of like going and uh, feeling like more like a uh, the Diablo 2 soundtrack and such but it still feels a bit more background where you could you could turn off the music and still experience the zone whereas opposed to like walking out of the rogue camp and listening to wilderness for the first time and like you're just like you you can hear that music in your head even if you have it turned off like that that type of uh, empowerment so the music is still really good but i feel as if they could have they could have just cranked it up just a little bit more made it a bit more um a part of like the the experience of the zones and such um, you know, you know, the the dungeons and things like that, but it definitely it, it um is a, it's a it's a step up uh, in getting closer to something that a lot of Diablo players um, have a, a lot of connection to, and that that music that ambiance that really helps fit like the the zones and the the tone of the game that you're going through and playing. It's 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 really it's really close. The sound design, uh, though across the board, is phenomenal. Uh, you know, like I said, it does like the the new music does really fit. Um, and, you know, wherever you're going through, whether it's a dark and dreary dungeon or in you know the the, the capital city for the area and such, uh, or just you know, uh, you're there's at one point you're going through and you're like lost in the woods, and the wind blowing through the trees will kind of like reach like a crescendo, and then it it's no longer just the wind it's something breathing you can hear like some giant monster out there in the darkness like taking like these deep breaths uh and then it kind of like turns back into like just the wind like rustling through the uh, the branches and such so it's like it's got like it's, it's got great m- uh, mood music and such i i highly recommend anybody that's going to go through and play this game uh please first playthrough play with the music on it, it, it's worth it. it it definitely is you'll you'll give yourself uh, a, a treat on that one um and just yeah uh, you know you uh and i guess it, it's time to go through and talk a little bit about the story and like the the themes because like again no spoilers uh no spoilers or anything like that but it's got everything that you would want from a diablo game like in the first 10 minutes you know it's like demon summoning blood rituals decapitations all that type of stuff um you know not not to mention then going in to the the cutscenes, which look phenomenal it's uh, absolutely um the 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 cutscenes within the game are also really cool because they they use uh like um what was it, it it's I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of it. I can't. It's not coming to mind. But it's like a technique where, like the the models and such have different versions, and so you've got kind of like a cinematic quality version of the model versus like the gameplay quality of the model. So there, there's cutscenes and such that involve your character, um, and then when it goes into like the close-up shots and such, like you're getting to look at a, like a higher fidelity copy of like the the models and the characters and such, um, where you know it's like so you you actually get to like be a part of like some of those cutscenes 
um, and that you're not just kind of like always like thrown off to the side or something along those lines. There, you get to have you know some of that 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 um, uh, impact and such. Um, now these aren't you know like the full quality cutscenes like the the opening cinematic is like the those. Uh, I'll, I'll probably should use that the, that as kind of like a differentiation. That there's like the there's the opening cinematic. And then there's all of the in-game cutscenes that you go through and experience, and nothing's at like that that cinematic quality, um, but there's there's a lot that goes through and takes place um, in it. It was also something that uh, came across uh, within the game that I hadn't really thought about previously, but is something that is used a lot within the Diablo games, like because if you go back and you look at Diablo two. Uh, there's the story as you play through the game, but then the narrative is given to you by Marius in the cutscenes in between the, the different acts. And he's telling you those those things, you know, in past tense. He's obviously, he's passed all of, um, you know, the trials and tribulations of the, the, the travels with the um, the Dark Wanderer and such. And he's going through and he's relating the, the story to, to Bale in the past tense. Um, well, as you're playing through the game, there's certain narrative points where the the narrator there there is uh, like a little bit of a narrator that exists within the game that's going through and is highlighting and is like wrapping up the the point of the story that you're in um, and giving his thoughts and uh, feed, uh, feedback about it like in the past tense, like these events had already happened. So it makes me you know wonder: Are we going to get kind of like is there going to be some part later on in the game that's going to be a payoff of that type of uh, uh, narrative and such? Um, you know, because obviously the the narrator is talking to you. You know, he's, it's almost as if he's like reading from a journal, similar to um, like the little interact, um, um, you know, little uh, cutscenes in Diablo Three, where you, the player character, are kind of like reiterating like the story points that had just happened and what like their their thoughts and motivations are. Um, it, it's something similar to that, where the narrator, it's not your character, it's it's a third party, uh, but they're going through and they're talking about uh, these things, and it's just like, oh yeah, that actually that is like a very Diablo Three uh, Diablo uh, thing, you know, Diablo Three did that. Uh, whether it be like Tyrael going through and you know talking about certain things kind of like at the, the ends of the story uh, or your character going through and kind of like almost creating like a, a journal entry in between the, the different uh, story points within the acts and of course then the, the, the act uh, summaries from uh, Diablo 2 itself um, so that, that was, a, that was a continuation of something that I, I guess I hadn't really paid attention to so much but then when it when it hit me and that first scene kind of had that back narration to you and I was like yeah no this fits this is actually really really a uh, uh, Diablo storytelling technique um and but uh yeah even just like this first act of the story it it hits all the right notes it, it gets you into the thick of things it establishes the reason you know in previous, like in previous, like in Diablo One and Diablo Two, why is your hero going through and hunting down Diablo? I like gold, treasure, you know, type thing. You know, the story about Aiden going through and hunting down Diablo was added back with Diablo Three, and then Diablo Two, like you're just some adventurer that's like, oh yeah, I heard that there was like, you know, in in Diablo One, you're like, oh yeah, there, there's treasure down there in the cathedral. That's 
that's where I'm going. And Diablo 2, it's like, I like adventure and money, so that's why I'm gonna go through and I end up saving the world. Uh, Diablo 3 kind of like takes a different turn. It's like, oh, you're the prophesized one that's gonna be, you know, the save all of humanity. Um, in Diablo 4, um, you kind of like happen upon certain events and then you're given a reason of why you're involved in the story and why Lilith's return matters to you. It's a very, very different narratively um, why your character is connected. You're not you're not starting off like some prophesized hero or anything like that. Your your whole involvement in the entirety of the story is actually given to you as you play through kind of the opening um, the kind of tutorial level that exists within the game. And that, that to me, from a storytelling uh, point of view, is actually really cool because it's actually is like you're not just jumping in and playing the game to play the game. You now actually have, there's a real connection and story hook there to get you uh, into it, to give you a reason of why all these things are happening. That's more of a, a personal connection uh, with uh, everything than had really been explored in any of the previous um, Diablo titles so that that's um, that 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 was a really nice you know kind of like narrative change that I really enjoyed but yeah um, lots of people die there's a lot of blood there's a lot of uh, there's there's a, a scene uh, I almost say like a scene there's a there's a boss fight um, towards the end of the act which again no spoilers but if you're a Warhammer 40k fan, you're gonna lose your shit. I'm just gonna say that right now. You're gonna you're gonna like do the you're gonna do the DiCaprio point uh, straight straight at the screen and be like, hey, I know that. It, it's it's great. It's it's really cool. There's there's a lot of things, and then uh, there's tons of little tiny side dialogues and such as you're going through, running through the towns. There's little tiny things you can interact with, people that you can talk to. Quests appear and pop up as you progress, you know, through the game that then add even more context and background, um, or even more questions. Uh, that exist as you you know play through uh, the, the game, where there, there are certain things, and, and and the game starts hitting you with some really big names really quick. You know, it's like there there's some definitely uh, there's some power players that are involved um, in the storyline. You know that you know, fans of the games you know will obviously recognize, uh, and then there's other ones that if you're you're a fan of the lore that um you're you're gonna you're gonna sit there and geek out with like did did they just name drop him like 10 minutes into the game like what the fuck is going on like it's just it's like uh there's a there's a bunch of like really uh big like wow moments there's also as a lore fan there's a couple of uh sad moments and such uh that exist within it um and uh again uh, no spoilers or anything like that, but um, the uh, the the you know the pale cultist, the pale summoner. Um, he's not really involved in the story. You get like a little bit of a glimpse, um, but he's like not really involved at all in the storyline at this part of the game. 
So you don't really find out anything about him or who he is. But you do at least see some information on who he's not. And yeah, if you're a longtime listener of the show, it's just a I told you so. And if you're not and you don't know the background, then hey, no spoilers, right? You you won't you won't know. Um But yeah, that that's you know obviously we're going through and we're we're passing an hour here um for it. Um so thank you for listening to me go and rant. Uh, I do want to say that overall, I'm extremely happy. Uh, I've, I loved going through uh, and being able to play through the game. Thank you again to Blizzard for giving me that opportunity. I think what we've seen so far is an excellent foundation. Uh, the team is obviously uh, very committed to this. Um, when we had the chance to go through and talk with them with the Q&A in regards you know, to this little beta test, uh, it is, uh, I can't tell you how many times that the development team brought up the term live service, live service, continual support. Um, so, you know, this this is just, this is like, I just got to experience the beginning of the beginning. You know, launching the game is just the starting point. Never in all the years that I've covered, you know, not just Diablo, but Blizzard games in general. I've done interviews with people from, I think, like every franchise besides Overwatch, um, you know, at various BlizzCons and stuff like that. This is the first time that the development team has ever opened up and have talked about the future plans of the game past launch. Normally, when you had something of this magnitude, it's just like, you know, it's a great question, but we're focused on launch right now or anything like that. Where they're going through and fielding questions about seasons, season links, you know, the future updates of the game and such. And, you know, so this is, uh, it's, it's, it's great, um, you know, where we're going through. Obviously, it's really hard to develop a game um, within a few years uh, that, you know, is going to compete with a game uh, that has had decades of content like Diablo 2, a decade of content like Diablo 3, you know, continual updates such as Path of Exile. Um, But I think the the gameplay and the the depth of the systems that they've previewed so far is at least going to get it up in that that same... um, that same range, uh, and then just their their commitment to going through doing seasons, uh, story expansions, further story content, stuff like that, um, is um, is really great. They're they're heavily committed. They're in this for the long run. They realize you know that it's not just uh, a one and done, and then we're gonna release the game, take a breather, and then we'll get an expansion out within a year or something like that. Like they're they're going you know uh, full pedal to the metal. Uh, on this one and we're going to we're in for a treat this is this is something that we're going to be seeing content for quite some time uh, and that this is going to be a living breathing game and launch is literally just the beginning it, it's chapter one of uh, of the story more or less and we've got a lot of stuff coming so again just want to say thank you for going through listening to me here um i will hope to go through and do uh, another episode before the end of the year um but definitely going into january hopefully going to be getting into more uh regular content 
Uh, you can find me uh, at twitch.tv slash blizzpro. Obviously, the show did not have a, a live episode because of the embargo and all of that, of being able to go and get this information out. Um, but you can also just follow the show at Twitter, um, at the WAM Workshop, or at Nineball Gamer on Twitter. You can email the show at westmarchworkshop at blizzpro.com. Uh, you can also, I'm going through doing a whole bunch of stuff. You can find me over um, on the Diablo podcast at Pure Diablo, where it's so much easier being a guest and not having to do the editing uh, than it is having to go and manage your own. Thank you, Rush. Thank you, Xanth, uh, on that one. Uh, I'm sure that we'll probably have some thoughts and some questions uh, very soon after this launches uh, over there because they'll, they'll probably want to try and get uh, some thoughts on my experiences and such. Uh, but until then, I will catch you all next time.